Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Hello and welcome to the Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Welcome to the show, Adam. Oh, thanks, Ben. You ever think, like, do you have a backup plan? Like, if I don't show up? You have to have a guest host in the back pocket, right? I think, you know what? Here's what I want to say. You you saying that makes me think you have a guest host in the back pocket. (laughs) I don't. But it is wildly irresponsible for us not to have that person, right? I mean, if you're a parent... It makes sense to have someone specified in your end-of-life plan to look after your children in the event of... I mean, I'm not going to care if I'm dead, <laughs> and, and neither and neither will you, but what I'm saying is if we don't die... And I don't want to leave you high and dry if I die, Adam. If one of I us get sick like a... every other week. I could fucking pass away immediately. What I'm saying is we need some sort of plan if one of us becomes a casualty and just can't do the show for whatever reason. Isn't that uh-huh. responsible? If, one, <laughs> if one of us is covered in raisins, yeah. what shall the other do? This is a business that we need to depend on. If one of us stays at his post. <laughs> if Bill Tilly cradled you into his arms and, and took your body straight over to my place. Mm-hmm. I mean, which, by the way, would be an incredibly great distance. Almost <laughs> as great as the distance that Scotty took his nephew to the bridge in Cedric Six Bay. Like in that moment, I'd I would look at Bill. I'd look at the sausage coming out of your chest, and I'd go, mm-hmm. "Who's it going to be?" <laughs> you know, there's a type of insurance that you can get called a key man policy, which is that if there's somebody that's like key man, <laughs> is that what you're saying? <laughs> a key man policy. If there's somebody that's indispensable to the operation of a business. You can get like special coverage to financially reimburse the like difficulty of navigating. That's what we need. The loss of that person. We need yeah. key man coverage. Yeah, we need umbrella coverage. Our our guy's been telling us that forever, but he our guy has never mentioned key man. You would think that he would have mentioned key man. I mean, it- instead instead of just umbrella. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow, this is something to bring up during our our next meeting, for sure. Hey, you know that important business recommendation you made to us? Well, we still haven't done it, but... But we came up with another thing we want to discuss. This is a lot like... uh, It's hard to know what exactly we are personally bringing to this that would be irreplaceable, but a lot like... It's a lot like Mary Hart taking out an insurance policy on her legs for like... $10 $10 million or whatever the mm-hmm. whatever was alleged to happen there when she was hosting Entertainment Tonight. Like, right. maybe there's a body part. If we're not doing key man, maybe mm-hmm. it's just a specific policy having to do with the voice. Right. Or, uh, I mean, my flagging memory is, I'm sure, an indication <laughs> of declining mental health. Like, right. uh, maybe yeah, is there some sort of the mental health if... policy that, that I could take out on myself? Mm. My brain is... Yeah. My brain, as with Mary Hart's legs, uh, <laughs> not going to stay perfect forever. 
if I had a policy on your mental health naming me as the beneficiary, yeah. I would just I would just work so much harder to drive you nuts than I already do. <laughs> That's just it, right? It's like an old timey movie where there's a femme fatale and yeah. uh, and a dupe. Right. Like uh we start taking policies out on each other. We're gonna we're gonna be the, the first suspect in a crime. Right. right. Yeah. It's the first thing the police look at is who stands to benefit and it's like, Jesus, these guys basically <laughs> Basically paying each other to kill each other. <laughs> it's, I mean, if I didn't know any better, I'd say they wanted out. <laughs> and I'd call it a crime if I wasn't so sure they wanted it so bad. Right. Now they have us down here at the police station. Newman is interrogating them. Yeah. They're crossing their legs suggestively. They're going back through the recordings of the show for evidence. Right. And driving themselves insane as a result. Oh, yeah. They're doing oh, yeah. that thing that some friends of DeSoto come at us with, which is like, hey, just found your show two weeks ago, and I'm all caught up. <laughs> <laughs> and then they immediately keel over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like the person who finishes the marathon, just legs covered in diarrhea. And, right, uh, right. <laughs> you and didn't have to do that. Put directly into an ambulance. <laughs> it makes us feel bad. I feel like this Marin was very productive. We we came up with a, a plan of action, a professional right. thing to do after the show. And that's always nice, right? We're always looking for more things to do that's not the show. For some reason, yeah. we are. We're professionalizing every week. We, every week we're becoming more professionalized -er. Right. And I think it just it shows in, in everything we do. Yeah. And... uh I'm, I'm looking for a pivot in that, and I'm not. I'm. I'm. I'm grasping. I. You know, for maybe too we aren't long, as professional ben, as we thought we were. I used to be great at pivots. For too long, we've been treating the show like a bunch of children. Mm, sent to a remote moon to die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's just a pivot that made itself, Ben. Let's get into the yeah. show. I've got so much to talk about here. As we get into Star Trek Voyager Season 2, Episode 22. So many twos in this one. The episode's called Innocence. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. You'd uh, think you might run into an Echo Papa 607, given the Sears Garden Center-ness of the planet that we are on. We've got a, a crashed shuttle, or not a crashed shuttle. I mean, it looks like it made a soft landing, but uh, a downed shuttle. A lot of the set design work lately feels like it's been destructive, which is a fun kind of pattern. Like, I love the establishing shot showing us the shuttle. It's all fucked up. Yeah. Things aren't good down there. Show me the damage. It's very, like, X-Wing distressed. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You tend to see them just spick and span, freshly detailed, and this one looks like it's been through a war. Boy, you know, speaking of crashed X-Wing, how much did you want this episode to not be about Tuvok's relationship to little kids and instead be the story of him running into a some sort of spiritual advisor monk figure who uh, <laughs> who teaches him how to be a fierce warrior or whatever? Mm -hmm. Drinks some uh, some green milk out of the breast of a weird animal that's yeah. sitting on a beach. Yeah, that would have been weird as hell. Would have been cool. What we get instead is Tuvok's an unfit parent of five orphans who keep <laughs> disappearing on him. 
<laughs> In this episode, we'll find out what happens when the kids are revealed not to be growing older, but kind of growing older in reverse. Tuvok Buttons coming to theater <laughs> this February. Tuvok starts this episode saying goodbye to Ensign Bennett, yeah. who has broken his back in this uh, bumpy landing. I, I don't know enough about what stasis means, but uh, I thought it kind of sucked that this guy got put in stasis after he died. <laughs> I get a big unintentional laugh of how interested Tufak was in using the stasis machine and then telling everyone about the stasis machine and why he was using it from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a question. Do you feel like Star Trek is unusually reluctant to show blood? Because this is a scene that is begging for some blood to get coughed out of a mouth here. And what we get instead as the screen representation of a death is a guy giving a battlefield monologue, which right. is capably delivered and fine. Avenge me! But it was missing that little bit of on-screen panache that I think blood out of the mouth really gives you, you know? I mean, you love to see a little blood out of the mouth. I don't know if you get that when you break your back or not. I'm not a medical practitioner of any kind. You're not a medicine man. Tin man. <laughs> I was just reading that this uh, this actor, Richard Kazanyi, uh-huh. also known for being on Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman. Tin man. Oh, wow. <laughs> Richard Kazanya. It's lasagna. Zanya. Za. Pizza. So. Another one of those names that uh, really makes middle school uncomfortable. <laughs> so he does that thing where he looks into Tuvok's eyes and he's like, I guess the one upside is that you don't have to tell anyone back home that I've died because no one there knows, no one there cares. I've got yeah. no one to hurt. And Tuvok like takes his hand into his and he's like, no, man, there's that girl you didn't know liked you. On the ship. And he's like, oh, man, what? Oh. Now you tell me. <laughs> Tuvok, you got to fix my back. I got to get up she to- always in Ensign Kim's room? I don't understand it. <laughs> You're not making this easier at all. You actually just told me the worst thing you could have. And Tuvok neck pinches him. <laughs> this is like, shh. How about that idea, though, Ben? You joke, but neck pinch as morphine has got to be great on the battlefield, right? Yeah. Maybe there's something about it that doesn't work if your spinal column has been severed. Yeah. It doesn't go all the way down. Yeah. It's, yeah. It stops at the sever. You can't measure it from the base like you want to. <laughs> you have to apply a second corresponding neck pinch to the foot, which is very hard because <laughs> you got to like stretch your arms out. To yeah, reach yeah, both your parts. Wing, wingspan really gets strained. It's Tuvok as the Michael Jordan wingspan poster. <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. Vitruvian man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, he sets up the stasis field so indigenous wildlife doesn't eat the body, Ben. And we meet this indigenous wildlife right now. A young girl named Tressa is standing watching this from the forest. She tries to run away from Tuvok, but he, he grabs her by the shoulders and 
is somehow able to persuade her that he is he is not a threat despite the fact that he is <laughs> restraining her and gripping her super hard. <laughs> that is a dead body, which I have also put <laughs> under a restraint. <laughs> she is satisfied enough that she gives the all clear to her friends who are also hiding in the bushes and they come out and uh, there's three Drayan children making a weird kind of first contact with Tuvok here. They tell Tuvok that they are the only survivors of a crashed ship. Just like you, yeah. Tuvok. That's how we ended up here. They're kind of confused by this, like, what are you doing with this dead body? That's not what you do with a dead body situation. This is actually exactly what you want to do for a first contact, is like find some common cause, some sort of like mm -hmm. shared experience here. This is much, much better than uh, putting a quarter in the juke and playing the <laughs> Ooby Dooby song. <laughs> yeah, it sure is. I do um, not have any quarters. <laughs> do you think all shuttlecraft have jukeboxes? Like for, I think classically, the... this is we're seeing what first contact looks like from the Vulcan side of things. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They didn't come down with their Ubi Dooby song. They they had Ubi Dooby thrust upon them, and that's not how Tuvok rolls. I'm sure Zephram Cochran looked like a fucking child to the Vulcans who visited that day. <laughs> These kids are nice, though. They don't leave Lily back in the wings. No, yeah, they're equal parts in this thing. They do it together. They've taken out, what's the insurance policy you mentioned? <laughs> they've taken out a key man policy? They, they've taken out key man policies on each other, mm -hmm. which demonstrates uh, how vital all of them are to their mission. Yeah, right. This is a scene that ends with big hugs to theme song. Yeah. After the theme, we learn that Drayan 2 has some minerals to mine. And the Dreans are people who value their privacy. So that's the challenge to the thing. Gotta get those minerals, but what about the people who live on top of them? What we need is yeah. some sort of fracking operation where <laughs> the Voyager can be off to the side, shooting their straw sort of mm -hmm. at a 45 de degree angle. And you're so saying they that they want to drink, that drink milkshake. a Drayan milkshake? They really do, yeah. <laughs> and uh, not only is Janeway totally psyched about drinking the Dreyan's milkshake. I drink it up! She is down to make first contact here. And in talking to Chakotay, they both are reveling in a kind of first contact nostalgia that you get to have if you are in the upper echelon of Starfleet. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like being in the D-Quad gives the Voyager a certain wealth in first contact opportunities that would be quite rare for an Alpha or Beta Quadrant Starfleet captain. You probably stop feeling it after a while. Like you, you do first contact so much that eventually right. you need more and more extreme versions of first contact to like yeah. have it feel <laughs> the way that it used to. Yeah. So first contact with an isolationist species has got to be really yeah. exciting. Yeah. I mean- Chicote thought about bringing a belt and a plastic shopping bag with him down to this one, but instead, uh, it's not necessary. This has got yeah. its own challenges. The Drayans beam up on the transporter pad, and these aliens look like they are uh, getting ready to rob a bank, or at least <laughs> that's what they were doing before they got called up to the Voyager. You know what's brave? Being the first contacted and making it an away mission. I immediately yeah. had big respect for the Dreyans 
Uh, We've never heard of a transporter, and we're going to try it out. Yeah. And we're going to have our, our, like, the leader of our government be the first person from our entire population to try it. Yeah. I love that the sequence starts with hand on transporter. Perfect beam job here, Ben. Yeah. The hand moves perfectly. The lights are simultaneous. No mm-hmm. weird nail choices. Nicely done. Very nicely done. They fucking nailed it. <laughs> and uh, we meet first prelate Alcia. The veil that they that they wear, like tucked in at the neck, almost like a beekeeper. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's maybe that's the primary export of their planet is honey. Yeah, these aliens are all wicker mans. <laughs> they talk about why they are such a isolationist species as they get a tour of the ship. Janeway is showing them the warp core and kind of bragging on some of the cool things it can do. And they're like, wow, you showed us like your your high tech shit first. That must mean that you're kind of earlier in the in the process than we are, because we we realize that this is not the path to happiness. Yeah, you really have that kind of high schooler who just got a car energy and wants to <laughs> wants to show it off in the mall parking lot by doing donuts mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. She's like, Why is the VIN number filed off of your warp core? <laughs> what did you pay for this thing? There is no way you can get an Intrepid class starship for two thousand dollars. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. This car's worth eight or nine thousand dollars, maybe more. <laughs> you got taken for a ride, Janeway. This episode is silly, and I'm going to argue at the very end bad. But Ooh. <laughs> a thing happens here that if you're going to take away one thing from this episode, I think there is something of value here, and it happens in this scene. We learn in the scene previous that Chakotay has been in the ball-kicking machine before during first contact missions. And right. what he does here is he's learned from those me- previous mistakes, right? The previous mm-hmm. mistakes were him trying to greet other cultures using their customs. And what he does here is he uses his own custom. And that's and that's a great thing. That's what he should be doing. Yeah. You don't he pivots insult his hips and the and the machine misses his balls entirely. Yeah. <laughs> Whoosh. <laughs> <laughs> Very exciting moment for Chakotay. He does that thing where uh, he pulls off a trick shot and it even surprises himself. He kind of looks around for approval. (laughs) (laughs) The Dreans have some complex feelings about technology and its place in society. Do your people consider advanced technology to be their highest achievement? You might have guessed this by the hosiery they wear over their faces. (laughs) And that's as far as we get. Like, it's not something we learn about them that ends in a dun-dun-dun. It just, the scene ends in such a way that uh, it's not going to be as easy as it began. They had uh, something that they referred to as the Reformation, which caused them to withdraw back into themselves. It's like if they'd (laughs) elected a Ron Paul in 2012. Yeah. You know? Nothing like a Ron Paul to make me withdraw into myself. (laughs) Me and everyone else. Yeah. So back down on the planet where Tuvok is stranded with these kids. He's held a dustbuster to his temple and he's like, I'm out. I can't do this. These kids. Yeah. The ship that they were on that was crashing had grownups on it. They say that the attendants protected them and made sure that they made it down to the ground safely. I wasn't entirely clear on how. Really wanted to see that other ship. Yeah. There was not like another crash site, but Tuvok is like, well, it's okay. You you made it through, and we're, I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna get you off the surface of this thing. I just need to fix my ship. It is not beyond repair. 
There is a production choice here that really makes itself stand out. And I think it has to do with the challenge of working with child actors. All of the kids' dialogue, I would say 90% of it is shot in singles. Mm -hmm. And I think that indicates some difficulty in getting some consistent takes from the child actors at the same time, right? Like if you're doing a three shot and only one of them can hit it, like you're not going to make your day that way. So we're getting singles out of all the kids for all of their line choices in order to get like the best version of all of them. I can't help it. And that really stands out in a show like this that is so good at obscuring that most of the time. They Like the wide variety of shot choices this show takes generally makes a scene like this stand out. Knowing the M. Night Shyamalan twist that is coming made me wonder where the debate was on how old of kids to cast because I feel like the dialogue is kind of all over the place in terms of like how old they're meant to seem. And I feel like these kids sometimes felt like they were too old and sometimes felt like they were too young for the role that they're meant to play. Yeah. And in a way that is like especially confusing given the twist. The revelation wags the story dog a little bit and it's such... We can talk about this at the end, but like, I think you could establish the kids' characters in a way that helped yourself out a little bit toward the end of the episode. Instead of just having normal-ass kids delivering dialogue in a normal-ass way here, I think you could betray a little bit of their secret here in a way that doesn't totally give up the twist. In a way that maybe shows a little bit to the audience without showing it to Tuvok, or in a way that like plants something that seems confusing in the moment, but makes sense in retrospect. Like, I think that one of the problems with this episode is that it falls into the trap of if only somebody had just said something. Yes. Yep. And I think that there was a way around it. I think the other trap it falls into is that it's like one of these Star Trek planets that seems to be about 25 square yards of area total because one of the things we learn in this scene is that there's a cave on this planet and there's a Morak. This is Marshal Murdoch. He's in charge of special operations from Washington. That comes out of this cave that the kids are afraid of. Right. And it's like, it's a full planet, right? Or like a moon? (laughs) What are the chances that Tuvok crashed like within visual distance of the fucking opening of this nightmare cave? They couldn't just go in the other direction ever. Yeah. Tuvok is pretty insistent that while they may be afraid of the Morak and everything, they need to stick around so that he can wrench on his busted bunk bed and and get it back into working order so that they can make an attempt at leaving the planet. There's like something in the atmosphere that made them crash and he's still worried about figuring out a way to get back through that. But in the meantime, the goal is going to be fix the shuttle. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, 
You don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I've got to get that. Are you planning a heist? Tuvok's kind of the perfect character for this type of story, right? Because he is unusually incurious about the kids at all times. Like the kids draw Tuvok out. Tuvok is never yeah. like, so where's your ship? Should we go strip it for parts? <laughs> any um, spare torpedoes that might be there? What do you think? Right. Or like, have any of you been in the cave? What other things should I know about the surface of this moon? He's single-minded in that Tuvok way that is useful for the story. Right. Back up on the ship... The captain introduces the visiting Drayans to Dr. Schmalis in Six Bay, another impressive feat of technology, and the doctor himself, an even more impressive feat of technology, 
gives them an opportunity to discuss some shared philosophical ideas between their cultures. One of our greatest philosophers, Plato, wrote that what we see around us are only poor shadows of ideal objects which exist on a higher plane. This scene really made me nervous because it made me hyper aware of how versions of medical care might be divisive depending on your culture, right? Sure. Like if in the previous scene we learned that the the Dreans aren't down with tech, what are they going to think about a medical facility fully kitted out like this? Right. <laughs> yeah. You blasphemers, you heal illnesses? Yeah, like advanced worlds would obviously believe in the necessity mm -hmm. of good medical care, while backwards dumbfuck cultures would question it and, and believe for some reason that their own thinking would be superior to a professional. Well, I think crucially, these people are wearing face coverings until they find out the vaccination status <laughs> of the Voyager crew. So uh -huh. I would say that while they have uh, not made technology the centerpiece of their culture, they believe in it. Right. Alcia gets a call that she takes in the doctor's office. There's been an emergency and God, I, I wish I could leave any party like this. Like she, she is not <laughs> mean. She is just matter of fact. Hey, this is cool. I got to go take care of a thing. Great to meet you. I wouldn't expect any more hangs. Yeah. Don't, don't let the door hit you on the way out of the system. <laughs> yeah, good luck on your 80-year voyage back home. And finding the polyferronide that you're looking for, it's not going to be extracted from our system, I'll tell you that much. Right, right. The captain makes a Hail Mary at like, could you please entertain the idea of, and they're like, no, 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 you must go, you really must. I guess this frees the captain up to care about where her scout shuttles are. So uh, she decides to uh, maybe call them back because they're going to be shoving out of the system here shortly. Yeah. The stakes get raised when Tuvok learns from these kids that there were two other kids with them when they landed and the Morak already got a couple of them. Are you saying the Morak is real? <laughs> That's what the show's saying at this point. And it yeah. could be out there stalking them. Either that or they just got like lost in the cave like they were on some fucking alien Tom Sawyer adventure. There is nothing wrong with these child actors or their performances, but... <laughs> God, couldn't you have used a little more Newt from Tressa? Like some real haunted, I've seen some shit vibes? The Mora comes at night, mostly. <laughs> we should retreat into the shuttle. <laughs> it won't make any difference. Tuvok keeps telling him he's scanning and he's not seeing any evidence of other kids or a Morak on sensors. Mm -hmm. And they start, like all three kids start making fun of the way he says sensors. Whoa, yeah. whoa, 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 whoa. I am sorry. Are you trying to say the word sensors? Because to me, you're saying sensors. Which is, you know, mean in the way that kids can be. Tuvok teaches the kids imaginary monster coping techniques and they work instantly. <laughs> In a way that nothing works for kids these age that fast. Do you think that he was doing some of his, like, light extrasensory ability stuff on them? God, the thing to do if you're Tuvok is distribute three tricorders to the kids and then just have them look at screens for the next 20 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> just sit him, in the, sit him in the back of the uh, Chrysler yeah. shuttlecraft that he's driving and... <laughs> When you don't give the kids screens to distract themselves with, uh, they're going to grab a plasma torch right. and uh, almost tragically kill one another. 
as has almost happened here. I wonder if he gave any consideration to neck pinching the kids and just, you know, taking them off the board for hours at a time. Does he only have one stasis field? Because a few more stasis fields could be really useful right now. (laughs) Yeah, I only saw one in that that briefcase that he pulled out. Too bad. God, that would be so funny if that were the point of the episode. Like, Tuvok is always going to be Tuvok. He is not going to brook any of this shit. No. That begs the question, Ben. We're 20 minutes into this episode. Can you tell me what it's about? At this point in the ep, I was like, God, we're almost halfway there. And what are we trying to do here, guys? I feel like I usually know what an episode is about earlier than this. I mean, I think that the danger of the Morak having been implied is what they're counting on. But it's all just like the kid's word that we have to go on. That's not good enough. Yeah, it's not for a little while that we actually like get the fearful moment. I mean, I I feel like it's like another 10 more minutes before kids start disappearing. I think you got to take the scene in the cave and move it earlier in the episode to inject that kind of intensity into the show, right? Like I've got to see the clothes without bodies inside earlier because I'm just not believing the kids telling a kid's story here. Without that. Yeah, it's tricky. I mean, the the other way that they try to raise the stakes here is hearing another ship entering the atmosphere. And the kids want to hide from their people. These are Dreans that are, that are coming to collect them. And Tuvok is like, great, you guys are going to be out of my air. I'll fix my shuttle. We'll go our separate ways. You guys are safe. And they're like, we are not safe, dude. It's like you think the babysitting job is over when the parents pull into the driveway and it turns out an awful secret has been told just before. (laughs) This is an example of what you were talking about earlier, Ben, is if Tuvok were just a little bit more inquisitive throughout, this wouldn't be the mug dropping onto the floor of surprises that it is meant to be here. These kids have been sent here to die. And so Tuvok now realizes he must protect them. And the next scene is of Dre and security, like, searching the back of the van while he and the kids hide in the bushes. And he makes, like, a scattering field with his tricorder to prevent Dre and security forces from detecting them. Few people know this, but there's actually an auto-destruct mechanism <laughs> on every shuttlecraft. I've set it to explode when these Dreans get near. I'm going to remote trigger it with this tricorder. But first, I'm going to reach into this bag of movie popcorn. See this palm frond from this home and garden center setup? (laughs) I'm going to blow on it lightly. (laughs) That's nice. The drain security, satisfied that nobody is around, walk off. And only now does Tuvok turn to the kids and go like, so why do they want to kill you? (laughs) What did you guys do? Yeah. They bring kids for the final ritual. Yeah. And the Morak sorts them out. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it makes it easier for the Dreans. You know, they're just on uh, carpool duty. What happens at school isn't any of their problem. (laughs) (laughs) It's described as an energy-releasing ritual instead of death, which I think softens the the blow of the reality here, right? Interestingly, they're, they're like, hey, like, you know about energy, right? And he's like, well... Like, Katras are a thing that a lot of people from my planet believe in, but I'm not so sure. Hey, Tuvok, 
Katras are fucking real. Have you ever heard of somebody named Bones McCoy? <laughs> he had one inside him. Remember. Maybe Tuvok just isn't into that shit, you know? I don't know, man. Like uh, the kids demonstrated interest in like stones and stuff. Uh-huh. Tuvok's like, oh, Jesus, really? <laughs> are you fucking serious with this? Perfect black. Make it yourself. I'm trying to help you see this as an opportunity to grow. Make it yourself. Back on Voyager, uh, BLT and Neelix have returned to the bridge. Like the Voyager has has called back their people. BLT yeah. and Neelix being a couple of them. And they're all like, uh, it's like home alone, right? Where's Tuvok? Kevin! It's time to go to Paris with these first class tickets. But they lost touch with him. They haven't heard from him in a while. We've lost Tuvok and whoever that guy was who went with him. Yeah. He's probably fine. Tuvok, Tuvok is uh, on the planet alone making uh, making traps <laughs> and hanging paint cans from the second floor balcony. That would have been a fun pivot here. <laughs> Put the kids to work. I'm up here, you morons. Come and get me. The first prelate gets on FaceTime and she is fucking rip shit. Yeah, they are pissed that there are shuttles on their moon. It is a diplomatic nightmare. This was not the moon to be scavenging on. No. And the word desecration gets tossed into the mix. Yikes. Not really the first impression that Captain Janeway was looking for. And these are like (laughs) the first people that aren't subscribers to the ship of death theory of Voyager that they've met in a long time. Like any true capitalist Janeway is like, I understand we've desecrated your land. However, what if we, as a form of apology, built a museum there or something? (laughs) (laughs) That would make it right, right? There's a single of Chakotay and the camera pans down to his hand where he snaps a pencil. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. On the moon's surface, things are just as bad because these kids won't go to sleep. They're scared of the Morak. Yeah. I loved this establishing shot of the uh, shuttle at nighttime. Yeah. A really nice effect. Like it's, I mean, it's clearly like on a soundstage, but they, they do a great job of, you never see the sky when you go to a soundstage planet surface. Mm-hmm. And this is a shot that does that, and it looks awesome. They did a good job. It's weird that the Dreans aren't interested in their shuttle technology. I guess that suggests an equivalence in tech, right? Like, yeah. they left the shuttle behind. They don't, they don't care about that. They need those kids. Or maybe their, like, anti-technology belief system is like, this is somebody else's tech, and we don't want shit to do with it. I guess. I mean, they got a great big starship up in orbit. They have a bunch of little shuttles. Yeah. kind of seems like there's a technology hypocrisy at work here. I mean, they're going to have to do a lot of atoning when they get home for using these starships. Yeah. They're going to have to let the bees sting them finally. Tuvok is like, you will go to sleep or I will play the loot. And you do not (laughs) want the loot. They're like, what's a loot? What's a loot? Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? You heard of JL pipes. (laughs) What about TV pipes? Yeah. Tuvok's got pipes. He does. The kind you used to sing. Still unfulfilled, he journeyed home, told stories of the lessons learned. He talks about a folk song with 348 verses. So basically, it's like any Rush song. But unlike a Rush song, Tuvok's song puts the kids to sleep almost immediately. 
The Vulcans love singing about 348 bottles of beer on a wall. Yeah. The next morning, we discover the horrible truth that Tressa is the only child left in the group. Somehow, they slept through whatever it is that happens with the Morak. Yeah. Hey, Tuvok, you had one job. What if the dinosaurs come back while we're all asleep? Huh. I'll stay awake. Maybe you sit back against a tree trunk and just kind of try to stay awake with your tricorder out? Yeah, I mean, like, staying up all night to repair the shuttle seems like noble and all, but um, maybe let the kids sleep in there in that case. <laughs> like, if warmth is the major issue, maybe bring them inside the shuttle, close the door, turn on the space heater. I mean, you have all these stasis fields. I don't want to suggest, you know, stasis fielding the children against their will. <laughs> but it seems as though it might keep them safe from a Morak situation, perhaps. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. That is the bad news that Tuvok gets before we cut back to orbit and BLT and Kim have finally started to be able to penetrate the atmosphere of this planet with sensors. <laughs> and they've found two ships on the surface. One is probably Tuvox, The other is probably Drayan. And they're finding life signs and stuff, but it's it's all very vague information. We've also had some indications of life signs on the surface. A while ago, there seemed to be four of them. Now we can only distinguish two. It's a real dots on screen situation, you can just tell. We don't cut to the panel, but that's the suggestion here. Yeah. The interference stops them from beaming down, as they would do like in a conventional rescue situation. So Janeway asks BLT and Kim to figure out a way around that kind of problem. They get to work, and Tuvok has to go into Chekhov's Star Trek cave. Murdoch. I'm coming to get you. You know, you establish it in the first act. You've got to go into it by the third. And uh, he leaves Tressa behind. He arms her. I'm shooting this thing. I hate guns. This may be the youngest person we've ever seen get handed a weapon in Star Trek. Or the oldest, actually, come to think of it. <laughs> he gives Tressa a firearm safety lesson that's actually more substantial than what's required by our country. Yeah. Oh, before man. buying a gun. I've shot a gun one time. I, I was curious. I went to a shooting range. I asked about it. They handed me like a bucket full of bullets and guns yeah. and said, yeah, just don't point it at anyone. <laughs> and I was like... It's incredible. How I've rented a car and it was way harder and had way more complicated rules uh, that applied to it what the fuck it's not an exaggeration it's amazing it's really frightening is what it is tuvok should not have brought the black light into the cave <laughs> <laughs> because what he sees in there horrifies it is a a cave full of laundry and um some of that laundry is identifiable as having belonged to some of the kids that disappeared. Yeah. Although he finds the, the, the last uh, costume he finds is the same color as what Tressa is wearing. And I was like, oh, man, did he like <laughs> turn her back on her and she got <laughs> grabbed and taken into this cave while he wasn't looking? That's funny. <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> yeah. But no, she's fine. This scene is difficult because what you want to feel is the terror associated with the possible deaths of these kids. But because it's Tuvok, he doesn't betray any feeling close to that. So he walks out of the cave like he walked into an empty cave. Like, there's nothing there. There's no concern. Yeah. Tressa, I have found a cave full of laundry. <laughs> I have no explanation for this. Our course is locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully. 
to say this once. Back on Voyager, they realize that the Dreans have sent more and more shuttles down. They're flooding the scene with search parties, and this is going to put Tuvok in more and more danger. Yeah, they're like, man, this is such a good idea. Like, beam so many security people <laughs> into the space that you can't even move. Yeah, it's an idea only a podcaster com- could come up with. <laughs> Tuvok manages to FaceTime them to say that he's alive and he's with a child he believes is in grave danger. And this inspires Janeway to hail Alsea, who is unhelpful to the point of confrontation. It's a blessed haven, sheltered and unspoiled, which is the very reason why I can't allow you to go there under any circumstances. And Janeway's like, fine, if, if you're not going to give us permission, I'm just going to take a shuttle down there to the surface anyway. And you know how desperate I am to do this? I'm going to go with Tom Paris. <laughs> you know what happened last time I got into a shuttle with Tom Paris? We turned into lizard people and we fucked each other. Tom Paris and I know from young ones on the surface of a strange planet, okay? Do you think they got into exactly the same shuttle? It looks exactly like the same shuttle they used to break the barrier. Yeah, it's that race car bed shuttle that they take down. Yeah. Janeway kind of uh, tells Alcia, like, I don't want to start a conflict, but I am willing to start a conflict here if that's what it takes. Right. And so they are headed down. They've worked out some technology solution to the uh, turbulence in the atmosphere, and uh, they've got a bumpy ride, but they're also being pursued by a Dran ship. They check in with each other a bunch on the way down. Like, are you feeling... Like, amphibious at all? <laughs> Janeway's like, no. What about you? Are you feeling a little uh, clammy? I thought it was funny that when they hit the turbulence and the shuttle starts bouncing around, it cut to the exterior and went for a close-up on the bumper sticker that said, if this shuttle's a rockin', don't come a knockin'. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, I know what kind of turbulence that is. <laughs> Meanwhile, Tuvok is getting ready to take off in his own shuttle. He's mm-hmm. He's got the repairs done enough that he's able to make an attempt. And it's a very Star Trek amount of tension being built here because all we have to go off is Tressa looking out a window saying, they're coming, they're coming right for us. They're coming all around us. We've got to go now. Uh, the security people are... are closing in from all sides but you know we don't get a shot out the window at what that looks like yeah it's really an interesting form of tension manipulation right like they cut to commercial in a very intentional way to heighten this tension because i think they know that there isn't much there on the screen right i really love the the foliage outside tuvok's shuttle as a way to suggest their inability to take off and then when they finally do that's big fun uh, lowering the bamboo on a yeah <laughs> like a scissor lift past the camera i love that <laughs> yeah so they take off the shuttle is not in great shape and they start to get bangers dropped on them by a drayan security shuttle and the first prelate Alcia gets on the facetime with tuvok and says like i'll explain everything as long as you just land and tuvok is like no fucking way i know what you're trying to do to this kid yeah and he he predicts that the computers are a little bit explodey too at one point he's like he's like back away that panel's about to go off in the first scene in star trek history of someone avoiding being freshened up by a computer panel <laughs> tuvok sees this coming yeah you don't want to see a kid take one to the face though right no that is that is a bridge Star Trek will not cross. There's an age limit here, and that age limit is Scotty's nephew. Exactly. 
19 and up. She was warned to leave her post. <laughs> well, the other one stayed. <laughs> so they're forced to land on the surface. And now night is falling. That's when the Morak does its thing. And uh, Tress is real freaked out. And this is the big confrontation in the clearing where the first prelate and Tuvok and Tressa meet up finally. And this is when we find out that uh, Tressa is not a young. She's an old. She's an old lady. I mean, look at her. She's old. It's a science fiction storyline standoff between the three parties. Whee! What a predicament. Janeway is there. The Dreans are there. Caught in the middle is Tuvok and Tressa. The reveal being that the Dreans age in reverse. And this moon yeah. is where the Dreans return at the end of their lives. And Janeway's like, I hate fucking up first contact. And I did it. Fucked it up. Big time. There's coffee in my sincere apologies for disturbing your traditions. I am so sorry about that. This is obviously a ceremony between you and this adult child. Didn't see that one coming. I mean, I don't think anyone would. This obviously looks like a child. Yeah. So I'm just going to leave you to do whatever it is you're here to do. And Paris and Janeway kind of turn and walk away. And Tuvok yeah. sticks around. Yeah. He's been kind of... Get- I mean, it's very interesting. The Like, Alcia really goes from being open to the Voyager's visit to an extremely belligerent actor to back to being like, oh, you guys are actually like really cool. And this was a totally innocent misunderstanding. As if there's uh, any flexibility in like her brand of orthodoxy though, right? Yeah. I was surprised by this. I think that that's something that's very interesting about her character is that it's sort of implied that like her family were at the forefront of a revivalist movement to return to orthodoxy for their people. Right. But she is also in the unique position of power of someone like a faith leader who can kind of like break the rules lightly Uh in the name of like, you know, defending their people and defending the faith. Yeah. And like, I actually think her character is, is very interesting and well-written for that reason. But only retroactively. So, right. I wish she was as interesting throughout the episode without having to rewatch it, but that's a very science fiction sensibility, right? Because it's the big reveal. I guess so. But I think that it's sort of implied in that first visit that she's like curious and I'm kind of breaking the rules to even like talk to you guys, but here I am. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I think, I liked her character a lot. And the end of the episode is uh, Tuvok and Tressa like hanging out at the mouth of the cave waiting for Tressa to die. I was fairly surprised at how elegantly the episode came to an end after the rocky ride that it took to get here. Like, I thought the dialogue in this scene was the best of the entire episode, and it took that to bring it to a close. Yeah. And it also took the three credits, the intentionality of when the three credits come in, add some meaningful punch to the thing. I think that there is a case to be made that this is not that strong an episode, but the strong finish, yeah. like getting off the pommel horse and landing it at the end does so much to complicate that as a view of this episode that I'm very curious to hear, Adam. Did you like this episode?
I did not like the episode, even though the <laughs> end of it was very strong. Like I commend the episode for sticking the landing of what was just a bunch of flailing and hopping around on the way to the little springboard. Uh-huh. If I don't feel for the characters in danger the way I'm supposed to, then how could I possibly call this as, as an episode that's successful in telling its story? If the goal is to make me feel a thing and I'm not, then it didn't work. And it made me wonder if this script wasn't first intended for non-kid aliens. Like, I wonder if they saw how weak the danger was and was like, well, how do we make these people feel even more in danger? Well, let's mm. make them children so that you, na- you like the natural instinct is to care for their well-being. I think the unfortunate part about that is that the dialogue for the child actors is so classically child actorly that it doesn't allow them the opportunity to shine. Like, I think Star Trek has had moments with its child actors where a few of them really pop off the screen and are good and scary in ways that science fiction kids can often be. And because none of them in this episode demonstrate that kind of hauntedness, the sort of haunting that I really wanted to feel from them in order to care about them, the emotional through line of the thing just felt kind of flat. And I'm saying that even though the ending was super strong, like it really, it really digs it out at the end in a way that I admire. Yeah. But the rest of the episode I, I found kind of forgettable. What about you? Yeah, I mean, I think I have a lot of similar feelings to you on this one. I really liked the character of the first prelate and I liked a lot of the like conundrum of this. And I think there's a little bit of that like Chakotay written by people who are working with a consultant who is lying them, mm-hmm. lying to them stuff in this. But there's also some like interesting Chakotay feeling weird about the way they are interacting with this alien culture stuff that actually felt like really authentic and good. Yeah. It's an episode that I feel really like is really hard to like come down hard on one side or the other because of that. There's so many things I like in it. And yeah, I agree though that like the, the kid performances, if they were better, if they were more provocative in some way, this would feel like a totally different episode. And I feel like it's a, a really interesting and juicy script that was kind of fumbled in execution to some extent. Did you ever read or see the movie, uh, the Benjamin Button movie or book? I saw the movie. I have no relationship to either. I wonder if that colored your experience of, of watching the episode at all. That being sort of a a notably good version of this story as told, maybe? Yeah, I don't know. It's been a long time. I don't remember a ton about it. And yeah. I feel like Voyager, maybe more than DS9, has some of that TOS DNA in it. Like, this is such a TOS idea. Like, what if you age in reverse? What if that was a planet? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? But, but like, it is it is such a more sophisticated sensibility than TOS would have brought to that, like, germ of an idea. Yeah. And I think that, like, TOS approaching an idea like that would have done it in a way cornier way, but it might have been more satisfying just because that would have been an easier and at the end of the day, more fun way of treating it. And Mm -hmm. this kind of goes for a pathos that is, is hard to capture. Right. Well, one thing we're more easily able to capture is a priority one message. We've been doing it for hundreds of episodes, Ben. Let's go catch a few more. 
Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Adam, our first priority one message here is from Jeremy, and it's to any curious millennial. Goes like this. I'm hurling scarves at Ben and Adam because I'm too lazy to research something myself. As a child in the 80s and 90s, I have clear memories of an illusion on TV shows where car wheels appeared to spin backward. At some unknown point, it stopped. Hoping these two can explain why this happened and what changed to make it go away. Also, happy retirement. Hey, happy retirement. Yeah, do you think that that's just Jeremy like imagining that it's going to take so long for us to get to the priority one message that we are retiring by the time we do? I mean, he's not far off. I'm flicking my way through all the P1s and there are a lot for this show to come. So Yeah, there sure are. We're fortunate enough to have that kind of support going forward. Ben, do you know the answer to this? I have I have an answer to this. Is it a frame rate and spin rate issue? Sure is. Yeah. There's an effect that happens when the rate of spin and the frame rate of frame is such that uh, the effect is a object rotation looking like it's in reverse. And you can affect this for yourself. Uh, yeah. If you blink really quickly looking at a helicopter or something... Or, at, or even uh, if you, yeah, if you like turn off a fan and yeah. watch the blade spin down, you can see like the refresh rate of your own eyes make it look yeah. like the the span, fan is spinning backwards for a moment. Yeah, so that's why. I don't know why it would have stopped. I guess in film production, you sometimes come across the problem of if you're shooting a scene and there is a, a tube television mm-hmm. in that scene, you'll see the like these dark bars kind of sliding down the screen because of the way cathode ray tubes were writing the image on the screen with a with a beam that kind of starts at the top of the screen and goes to the bottom and then starts over 30 times a second and you can get like a variable speed control to adjust the speed of the film going through the camera to counteract that or you can adjust the shutter angle itself to counteract that right and i think that it must just be that DPs on television sets got better at knowing when that would be happening and working to not make it look weird. <laughs> well, luckily, the absence of CRT monitors has made that less of an issue going forward. Now you can walk into an office environment and not have to deal with that kind of shit if you're shooting a wide shot, you know? Right. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, which is nice. It was a pain in the ass. Yeah. Hope that helps, Jeremy. Ben, our second priority one message is from your dang wife, Erin. The message is to Maddie Lip. The message goes like this. Happy first anniversary. I'm writing this as we are finishing Deep Space Nine and can only imagine what delights we're experiencing on Voyager now. (laughs) I love sharing Star Trek and all the pod with you every week. Thanks for an amazing first married year. And here's to many, many more. Wow. Congrats. Aaron and Maddie Lip. I like their trajectory. If their first year of marriage was this year, yeah. and it was a great one. Wow, you passed. It's, you passed the uh, the. It's only gonna the stress test. Yeah, exactly. Good job by you guys. Indeed. Well, uh, if you'd like to get a priority one message on the schedule, head to maximumfun.org/jumbotron. Schedule it now, well in advance, the way your dang wife Aaron did. It's the way to do it. Or start listening to the hit new Star Trek podcast, The Greatest Discovery, 
Get yourself in that queue. Uh, you don't have to do that. <laughs> you really want that show to die, don't you? <laughs> you know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullying, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I think you mentioned this quality earlier when you described an issue with the episode going something like, you know, people not asking enough questions of the other person from scene to scene. And if one were to do that, the story Mm -hmm. kind of falls apart because you need to have established some sort of opacity to, to the problem, some some artificial opacity. And it's like every movie from before the 90s being like, wow, this would have been all fine if cell phones existed. Well, this was <laughs> this was my thought exactly. Janeway is the cause and the solution to and of the diplomatic problem they're in because why are you doing this is a question that is always asked more in real life than it ever is on any episode of television. It's almost right. like it's forbidden. <laughs> question forbidden <laughs> you know like why are you doing this can clear up a lot of conflicts and at no point in this episode do we get anything close and if she is really the diplomat she styles herself as what's an easier way to get to the motivations of who you're having a disagreement with i think that could have cleared a lot up and so i think janeway is sort of the chaos agent of the episode by permitting this conflict to keep going by not asking a very core question like that so what about you ben man i i had a hard time finding a shimoda in this episode who was drunk i mean there is ensign, ensign bennett there is ensign bennett and and his and his spotlight death scene like, what if that had been Skull Kogan or somebody that we'd actually met before, you know? This was a pared-down episode in terms of its cast, huh? It really was, yeah. And, like, I feel like I want to know what's going on with Baby Wildman. I want to, like, process some recent major shit that's been going on on the ship. Mm-hmm. And this is a real, like, adventure of the week that pushes all that off yeah, uh, significantly. yeah. I suppose the drunk Shimoda I'm going to pick out is Alcia, who's played by Marnie McPhail, who I think she has a speaking role in Star Trek First Contact. Oh, really? Well. I think she like is the one that is in the Jeffries tube, the first person to encounter a Borgs. Paul, are you okay in there? You know what? You didn't need to describe it to me before I, I got there a second before in my mind. <laughs> That's totally her, huh? Her character is really interesting and juicy. And also just funny because she is so fucking angry at the Voyager for so much of the middle of this episode. And then really like without much to go on, all is forgiven Yeah, <laughs> at the end. So I think I've talked myself into it, Adam. I think she's my drunk Shimoda. You did it. All right, Adam. I'm going to head to gach.biz slash game where we keep the game of buttholes. The will of the caretaker. So that I can t- find out how we are going to be reviewing season two, episode 23, The Thaw. <laughs> Thanks to a complex sensory system controlled by a computer, Kim and others are literally held hostage by fear. <laughs> I mean, I feel like every season or two we get an unfrozen caveman alien episode. And that sounds yeah. like that's what we got teed up here, huh? 
You got to have one of those, Adam. I'm, I'm hoping for the appearance of another $5 carnival guitar in our future. That'd be delightful. Bring those guys back. Yeah. Those guys are the greatest. You think maybe the uh, the postscript to that story was was they decided to crawl back into stasis and get fired back into space again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to let some of my savings accounts yeah. mature a little bit more. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's, the interest hasn't accumulated quite enough. get some more of that sweet, sweet compounding interest. It's not about how much you save, it's how early you save. It's true. We are on square 31 right now with our runabout, Adam. And I'm going to go ahead and roll this bone, see how things go. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Looks like we could hit a Delta Flyer or a Neelix's Galley hmm. square. Depending on how this goes. Don't like the sound of either of those. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Well, don't worry, buddy. I rolled a four, which jumped us past the Delta Flyer, which would have taken us up to a measure of a man. And now we're right in between that and the Neelix's Galley episode. Wow, we're the, we're the meat in a Neelix Janeway sandwich. <laughs> we sure are buddy so uh next week's episode will be recorded in a regular frame of mind and with no demands on us which is great wow great hitting that janeway square would have really tossed us around yeah that would have changed the game entirely yeah good job not changing the game entirely yeah. <laughs> well i'm looking forward to it in the meantime i hope folks will uh share this show with friends that they think would enjoy it that's right as, spread as, the word as you're starting to get out in the world irl <laughs> maybe share some of the things that got you through when you were uh, quarantined up stuff like yeah. the expert shimoda family of podcasts give us a nice review on your podcatcher app that would be really nice of you and check us out on social media. At Greatest Trek is where you find us on Twitter and Instagram. Those accounts are run by the card daddy, Bill Tilly, our social media director. Yeah, we like that guy. Sure. Hey, do. we've got we've got new stuff in the store, Ben. Our store, Podshop.biz. Some really great stuff. We got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia, who made the theme music for this show, the Janeway song. You can find him on YouTube most of the time where he has a really excellent cooking channel. I just watched his Pod Thai recipe. Oh, yeah? It's a great, it's a great recipe. I'm going to have to get into that. Yeah. I haven't had that love in a while. Me, love me some Pod Thai. Yeah. Also love uh, Dark Materia, who made the Picard song, the original theme song for this show. You can hear low under our voices right now. Join one of the Miriam Friends of DeSoto all over social media. You got Facebook, you got drunkshimoda.com you got greatestgen.fandom.com you got reddit just try to drop a hashtag greatestgen somewhere see what happens and with that we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager and an episode of the greatest generation Voyager where Adam and I are both in clown makeup I mean that's one of the secrets of the show is I'm always in clown makeup (laughs) we just haven't talked about it ever yeah, we've, uh, we've <laughs> we haven't revealed it until now. Sorry, I was a little late to the show today, Ben. I was applying my clown makeup as I always do.
MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.